Of course, one thing that it takes in order to be parents is fill in the blank. Patience. <laughs> Couldn't go far wrong, right? It's the year of patience. We're in a series on patience, and every parent knows it takes patience. We've talked about people of patience over the last uh, three weeks, four weeks. Today, we are talking about the greatest model of patience, Jesus himself. The Bible presents no greater model of patience than Jesus. The Messiah exhibited throughout his earthly life and ministry the, uh, the absolute perfection of what patience is in the life of a human being. So there's really no place in the stories of Jesus in the scriptures and in his teachings that we couldn't look to and probably find wonderful insights into the subject of patience. But in the life cycle of the church every year, where we are in this season of spring is called Eastertide. I like that old-fashioned term. It seems to me to reflect the reality that resurrection is rolling over us like waves coming in, like the tide rising and bringing with it all kinds of fresh life and goodness. It's Eastertide. It's the season in which we are particularly mindful not only of the resurrection that has happened, but also of the fullness of the spirit that is promised and coming. Uh, two weeks from today is Pentecost Sunday. By the way, the first Sunday of every month, uh, it, here's a little side note for you, a little scheduling note. The first Sunday of every month is going to be a Sunday in which we gather together our two services as one congregation. We are always one congregation, but as you know, our regular practice is a Tagalog service at 8.30 a.m., an English service at 10.30 a.m., but on the first Sunday of the month, beginning June 5th and continuing every month thereafter, we will have a single communion service. That is typically when we take communion, and so what better time to be unified as one congregation? It'll be at 10.30, so you who attend this service regularly don't need to make any change, but I want you to be aware that that will be the single service for that weekend. And what better Sunday to begin it on than Pentecost Sunday? When we remember how in Acts chapter 2, the early church were gathered all together in one place, at one time, in one accord, and the Spirit was poured out on them. And so I'm asking you to prepare spiritually for Pentecost Sunday this year. Over the next two weeks... Would you commit yourself to a particularly focused season of prayer? Maybe even a prayer and fasting, if the Lord puts it upon your heart. But seeking the Lord for a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit in this season in your life, in this season in our congregational life, at such a time as this in our world. And so the message that I am bringing today about Jesus and his patience is cued to that chronology in the story of the scriptures. It has to do with a moment of divine patience exhibited on the road to Emmaus. This was when the resurrected Jesus Christ, on the very day of his rising, the very first Easter, appeared to two of his disciples while they were on the road out of Jerusalem. They were leaving. In fact, it is fair to say that 
we could probably assume that they were fleeing. In other words, things had gotten bad and very bad in Jerusalem. And Jesus had died on the cross on Friday. And by Sunday morning, they are leaving town, little realizing that on the road, they are going to meet Jesus. But even when they meet him, they don't know him. They know him because they are his disciples, but they don't recognize him. But in their walking together, he shows them not only who he actually is, but what the scriptures actually say. He makes them realize that not only did they not recognize him in that moment, they had failed to recognize what the scriptures had promised about him. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus was not just a single day in which he appeared to just a few people. Jesus was bodily resurrected and continually interacting with his disciples for weeks. In fact, for 40 days, Jesus was with them and he was teaching them and walking with them and greeting them. He would appear in the room where they were. He would appear on the shore where they were fishing. He would appear on the road where they were walking. He would come to them and no doors or walls could hide him, but they would not even recognize him unless he granted to them for their eyes to be opened by the Spirit. And when he opened their eyes to him, he also opened the word to them and they received revelation. And he created in them a hunger and an expectation for the promise that was to come. And it wasn't a promise that Jesus made that was simply about, here's a good gift that you might like. It was a promise about, here is an essential equipping that you will need in order to keep walking on the path and keep fulfilling the mission to which I have called you. It's the promise of the Father, which is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached out of the scriptures and said, the promise is to you and to your children and to your children's children and to all who are afar off. We're going to talk about the patience of Pentecost in two weeks. I want to spark in you a hunger for that fullness a hunger for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It can only be found from Jesus, but Jesus is with you. He's walking with you. Do you see him? Do you recognize him? He wants to open the word to you. These men knew the word like they knew the Lord, but just like they didn't recognize the Lord when they saw him, they read the word but didn't realize what it meant. And we are like that sometimes too. And maybe sometimes we read the word and we read the word and our patience grows thin because we think, I've read this, I've read this, I've read this, but so what? But these are the words of life. And if you understand what the Spirit is saying to the church, that life will ignite a fire in your heart. Pastora Blanche preached beautifully and passionately this morning in the Tagalog service about the Great Commission. I'm going to borrow some of your sermon right now. She mentioned a Barna Group research study that evidenced that in contemporary United States of America, I believe the figure was 51% of respondents had no answer for what the phrase the Great Commission means. More than that, 
could, I recognize the phrase, but could not confidently tell you what it means. But better than half of people in this nation today don't even know what Great Commission is. Are you one of them? You don't have to raise your hand. But let me tell you something. If you are a part of this flock, you need to know what the Great Commission is. And the Great Commission is a promise. In order to receive a commission, it means you are enlisted into a mission. In fact, you are enlisted into a collective mission in which you have a part. And in order to fulfill that part, you need the Spirit. And the Spirit is what is promised. You know, I say all of this, and I recognize the truth of it, but I also realize that for many of us who are familiar with this kind of teaching and these kinds of words, we may feel as though familiarity has made us grow kind of contemptuous of the reality of what I'm talking about. In other words, we may think, yes, 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 I know all of that, I have all of that. I think that's why today's story is so important because often when we think we know exactly what's going on and we think we know exactly what the Lord is or isn't doing, our eyes are not fully opened to where he's really at and what he's really saying. And I am grateful that in the midst of that, God is patient with us. <laughs> the patience of Jesus that we see on the road to Emmaus is the patience that Jesus shows to you and I even today. And it's for a purpose. I want to remind you that this year of patience is part of a season in which the Lord has said to us as PCFLA, and I believe he's saying to people of his everywhere, that these are years of purpose. That our purpose has never been more important in him. That his power to fulfill that purpose through us has never been more present. But that the enemy is also unceasingly, unwaveringly trying to steer us off course. And so it is important for you and I to hear that when Jesus is patiently calling us, he is doing so because there is a passionate purpose he has for us. That we would know his truth, that our eyes would be opened to who he is and all of the truth of what he says so that we could be free. Free to do what? Not just to run around and play. Free to move forward in the pathway of mission, of the great commission, of telling others who he is and sharing with others the truth of Jesus, the love of Jesus. But in order to do that, you know what you're going to need? The patience of Jesus. And so, Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bible, open it, or you can navigate to it on your Bible app. There's a section from verses 13 to 49 that we're going to be looking at, and I've taken three of Jesus' phrases in that section to structure our study today. What are these words is the question that he starts his communications with when he meets the two disciples. As they get into their conversation, he finds that it deepens because of their depression, because these are two men who are desperately saddened by what has happened, Jesus' death on the cross, and it would seem to them the futility of Jesus' mission, 
and the end of Jesus' ministry and maybe even the end of what they thought their faith was about. But Jesus is going to show them that the things that have happened were not unexpected to God and, in fact, were necessary in God's plan. And so, ultimately, Jesus is going to come to a place in which he says to more than just these two disciples, but in truth, to all of his disciples, why are you troubled? That's the last point today, but I want to start with it, actually. I want to ask this question to you, to those who are streaming with us, to you who may be watching a recording. Maybe you're someone who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you're someone who isn't walking with him. And yet what you realize is there are things that are troubling your heart. There are problems that are littering your path. Maybe your question to God is, is it really necessary for me to go through all of this? Or maybe your path is good and golden right now. Maybe things are going well for you. Maybe all is right in your world and you may be asking yourself, is it really necessary for me to know or think anything about Jesus or anything about God? What kind of words are those? Let me tell you something. As we've talked about earlier today in the dedication of a child, life comes from God. Your life came from God. It is necessary for you to know the author of life if you want to live. So, is it necessary? You tell me. Do you want to live? Because you're going to die, and only God can show you the path to live beyond death. Why are you troubled today? Maybe it's because you know you're going to die. Maybe it's because there's a different kind of death plaguing you already, a disease, a depression, like the two men on the road to Emmaus. Maybe everything has come to crisis in your world. Maybe you're troubled because inside of you, you don't have the assurance of love. You don't have the sense of God's presence. I don't know why you might be troubled today. There's any number of reasons, but I'd ask you to focus for a moment on your trouble, not to run away from it, In fact, if you have been running away from it, that's the road to Emmaus. And I'm inviting you to realize that Jesus has come to you on that road today. And he's saying to you, what's the words that are going through your mind? What are the feelings that are going through your heart? Let me show you what is necessary. Let me show you what is true. Let me show you that in me, you need not be troubled at all. Though you will have troubles in the world, I have overcome the world and all of its troubles. I have overcome death. That's a thought that the two men on the road to Emmaus couldn't yet imagine when they started out on their trek that day. It was the very day that Jesus rose from the grave, but they didn't know it yet. They were making a journey of about seven miles or so, but by foot, that's a long journey. And so they were headed to a village named Emmaus, We don't know precisely why. As I mentioned, one presumption can be that maybe they felt it would be safer outside of Jerusalem. It may very well be that they came from Emmaus or that Emmaus more likely was along the way to their home because they stay at an inn when they finally arrived or so it would seem. So they're probably got a longer journey. And maybe it is that after Jesus' death, They felt that there was nothing to hold them in Jerusalem anymore, nothing to even hold them together as a congregation. Do you realize that the disciples of Jesus were a church? But it seemed like 
The shepherd had been struck, and so the sheep were scattering. And as they were walking, they were talking. And you can imagine what their conversation was like, trying to figure out, why did God let this happen? How did we not see it coming? Remember, he said it would happen, but if he knew it would happen, why did he go there and let it happen? What is this all about? What does it all mean? What is the point? And while they were walking and talking like this, a man showed up. They didn't recognize that it was Jesus. He began walking with them. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's physically present there. And as far as they can see, he's no different than any other human being. But why don't they recognize him? The scripture simply says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. You and I have to ask the Lord, what was that? Is that God preventing them from recognizing him until it's the right time for them to recognize him? Is it that they didn't recognize him because they didn't really realize who he was? Is there some fundamental change in Jesus' appearance after the, the resurrection? If there is, it's one that he apparently can control. Let's put it this way. God repeatedly talks throughout scripture about how he presents himself to people, but people often don't recognize him. He speaks and they hear, but they don't understand. He's there present, but they ignore. I believe that this story is giving us an example of this, but it is an example in which God himself seems to be involved. There's timing. So friend, I want to encourage you that if you're walking on the road and you think Jesus isn't anywhere around me, remember he may be right next to you in the person next to you and you just don't realize it. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is using you to show up in the world to other people today. They may not recognize that it's Jesus working through you, that doesn't mean he isn't there present in you and through you. In any case, Jesus, still a stranger to their eyes, says to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? You could paraphrase it this way. What's this heavy talk? Boy, it sounds like you guys are in serious conversation. What are you talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Have you ever been in a situation where things were so bad that when somebody asked you what's wrong, you almost thought, I don't know where to start. They're also a little amazed because he's walking on the path from Jerusalem. So he's coming from the major city center where they've been, and that whole city over these last few days, over the last week, has been absolutely um, filled with talk of Jesus. It was only a week earlier from this date that Jesus had rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and all the city seemed to be clamoring for him and crying out his name and saying Hosanna and waving palm branches. It's only been a few days since so many in the city were involved in Jesus' trial, seeing the man who was brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish authorities, brought before Pontius Pilate, the Roman authority, beaten, flogged, and crucified. How could somebody be in the city and not know about it? One of the disciples whose name is given to us, Cleopas, he says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem right now who doesn't know what's happened over the last few days? Maybe that response in itself requires a little patience from Jesus. He's saying, are you the only one that doesn't know what has happened? And he's saying it to the only one who does know. 
Sometimes you and I come to God. Do you not see? Do you not care? Do you not know? Friend, he sees, cares, and knows more than you do. But it's okay. You can say that to him. He's patient. Jesus said to them, what things? And he says that to us sometimes. Tell me about it. Don't you see what I'm going through? Tell me. What are you going through? Why does he ask when he already knows? He's not trying to get more information. He's giving us a chance to get more revelation. They said the things about Jesus the Nazarene. That's him, by the way. (laughs) I like to think of this as the superhero story of Jesus. This is Clark Kent on the road, and people are telling him about Superman. (laughs) Didn't you hear? Superman was on the kryptonite cross. Don't worry, he's back. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And they told him how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death, and they crucified him. They executed him in this horrible, bloody way. But we were hoping that he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to be the new king. We were hoping he was the one who was going to liberate and redeem us. Now listen, isn't that you and I so many times? I thought God was going to do the thing that he's supposed to do. I thought God was going to heal my loved one, not have them die. I thought God was going to dissolve that debt, but it's gotten bigger. I thought that I was going to get better Be stronger. Have more faith. I thought a year of patience meant I would have more patience. I have less. That's where they're at. Our hopes have been dashed. In fact, they say today's the third day since it happened. Here they're referencing, you know, he said that he would come back, but it's the third day and he's not back. They're talking to him, but he's not back in their eyes. And then they mention back in Jerusalem, there are some women who really astonished us because at dawn this morning, they went to the tomb and his body wasn't even there. Now, here they are aware of what Jesus said, on the third day I will rise again. Here they are aware that trusted members of their congregation have gone to the tomb and actually said the body is not there. All the evidence is pointing to Jesus is resurrected, but they're distressed because what they are thinking is Somebody's lying or somebody stole his body. They're only seeing it in fleshly terms, it would seem. Even while the women are telling them, we saw an angel who told us that Jesus is alive. So they said some of the men then followed. They went to the tomb. We know that John and Peter from the Gospels, other Gospels did this. And they did indeed find the grave empty, but they didn't see Jesus. And Jesus says to them, you stupid dudes. No, he doesn't say that. (laughs) Oh, foolish men. Slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have said. But I think he says it with compassion. I think he says it with patience. You foolish friends of mine. It's all laid out right here for you. It's all been spoken from these lips for you. It's all been granted to you. But you don't believe. 
And that's why you don't see. Because you don't believe. Because it's not by the sight of the flesh. It is the faith of the Spirit by which we see the truth of the Lord. There's a passage in the Psalms, Psalm 1914, familiar to many. Oh Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Here Jesus is coming and he's hearing the words that they're saying. And he's seeing the look on their faces. And he's saying, you don't get it. You know, we are easily prone to complain. Things go wrong and we speak it over and over. This is a wreck. This is a ruin. This is going to get worse. You did it or I did it or there's no way out of this. And our words become curses. And our thoughts become curses. And they become blinders so that we can't see. But Jesus is right here to say, wait a minute. Listen to what you're saying. Tell me what's going on. Now let me show you again what the scriptures say. Are you having trouble? It says here you would have trouble. Are you facing persecution? I told you you would face persecution. Are you fearing death? You knew that death was coming. But you can count every trouble joy. You can realize that persecution is a badge of honor. You can recognize that I'm equipping you to fulfill your mission and that even if you die, yet you will live. So give voice to that. Speak the word. See things in the spirit and let the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart be pleasing to God by letting God shape them and letting him guide your feet on the path. And remember this, whether you feel him or not, whether you see him or not, Jesus is available to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is with you. He said, he said, I am with you always. Do you think he's a liar? If you say you're not with me, Lord, you're calling him a liar. But he's not a liar. He's just saying to you, oh, foolish one, and slow of heart to believe. You may not feel like I'm with you. You may not see me with you, but I have said to you, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is true whether you feel it or not. So don't be guided by your feelings, but worship the Lord for his presence. The more that you worship the Lord for his presence, for his, his presence with you, the more you will see him and feel him and know him. And the more that your pathway will reflect his purpose. But the truth is, all of us falter and fail in this. And the truth is, even if we fail to understand God's words and ways, even if we've walked with him many, many years, God is patient with us. Take some encouragement today from knowing that God is patient with you. You haven't worn him out. But you may be going in the wrong direction. If you're not walking with him, even if he is walking with you, it's up to you to turn your path towards his. In order to do that, you need to know where he's going. You need to know what his purpose is. And now Jesus says to them, wasn't it necessary? You're saying to me, again, I'm paraphrasing here more than that. I'm elaborating creatively. Jesus is saying to me, you're saying to me that you thought this man was the Messiah and then all these things happened to him and you're saying that he's not the Messiah. 
But isn't that exactly what is supposed to happen to the Messiah? And he opens the word to them, the books of Moses and the prophets. He must have quoted from the song of the suffering servant, the multiple songs of the suffering servant that are in Isaiah that says that he was wounded for our transgressions, that by his stripes we are healed. Where in the prophets it says that those who have pierced me will look upon me. Where it says that he is surrounded as if by dogs who are after him like wild beasts. All of the promises and prophecies of the Messiah, he explains to them and everything about himself in the scriptures. And as they walk along, they are receiving one of the most glorious sermons that has probably ever been given. What it would be to walk with them and hear that, right? But remember, the one who was walking with them and preaching to them is walking with you now. Just ask him to open his word to you. You may know the word and that is good. If you don't know the word, you're not likely to know the Lord, but it's not enough to just know the word. Ask the Lord to show you the word, to teach you how to apply the word. They approached the village that they were going to, this village called Emmaus, and Jesus acted like he was going to go on further. I don't think he's doing an act here. In other words, he was continuing on the path. He's going somewhere further. But they say, no, please, it's late. Stay with us. We don't want you to have to travel at dark. That's dangerous. But also, we don't want to stop talking with you. We want to hear more about what you have to say. We, we want to spend more time with you. And it's dinner time. You must be hungry. We're hungry. They're hungry for him, for what he's sharing. So he agrees. They go in, they sit at table. He reclines, he takes the bread. And it's only days after he had done this very thing in the presence of the apostles. How many more times might he have done it among the disciples? Giving thanks to God for the bread, just like we gave thanks to God for the life. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And suddenly, in this familiar and even sacred act, their eyes were open and they recognized him. And as soon as they recognized him, he was gone. You see, he didn't leave them. He led them. He led them to the place where they could see him. And once they had seen him, then they were able to go where they were supposed to go even if he was no longer visible. They said, it was Jesus. He, he is alive. And our hearts were burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road. He was explaining the scriptures to us. Let me tell you, that's a sign that you're really in touch with the scriptures when as you're reading them or as you're hearing them, as you're thinking on them, something is ignited in you. Then you know that the message and the spirit of the scriptures is reaching you. And so, though it's late, though it's dangerous to travel at dark, and though they were going in the opposite direction before, they turn around, they leave that place, and they immediately return to Jerusalem. 
They make a 180 and go exactly back where they came from. Why? Because they realize that this is not the time to be scattered. This is the time to be gathered. They're not supposed to go away. They're supposed to come together. They want to share what they've seen. They are already on the path of the Great Commission. Jesus is alive. We want you to know. We've seen him. We know him. Our hearts have been lit by him. We've been fed by him. That's who you are meant to be. So what are these words that are filling up your day if they are not those words? What are the activities that are drawing your attention if it is not that? What is the purpose of your life if your life is not shaped by the resurrection of the Lord? This is why we are here, to tell people that Jesus is alive to show people that he is alive, to feed them with that truth, even as he has fed us. The Lord has really risen. Then they get back to the disciples and they find out that the apostles have seen him now too. Mary has seen him, Peter and John. They began to relate their experiences on the road and they told them how suddenly they recognized Jesus when he was breaking the bread. It's a kind of communion moment. And again, there's a reason why we're looking at this story now. Because in two weeks, that bread's going to be broken again in front of us. Will you see Jesus in a new way? If you're seeking after him, if you're focused on him, if you're hungry for him and for his spirit, then you will. The fullness of God's plan in redemptive history involves problems, crises, episodes of loss. And the risk is that when we encounter those things, could lose our faith. Remember the parable of the seeds and the sower that Jesus told? Seeds that fall among the rocks or the weeds or shallow ground. There's so many things that could inhibit the growth of the fruit of what God intends. And especially in the moment, we may feel like, I don't understand what God is doing. I cannot see where God is present in this. There is no way that this can possibly be a part of any good divine will. And in fact, what Jesus says is, isn't it necessary? Isn't it in fact necessary? Now, how can you answer that if you don't know what the word says? Because this word tells us what is and is not necessary. If it is not a part of this word, I can tell you it is not necessary for life. There are things that are good, that the word doesn't speak about directly, but that it relates to. But the reality is all that we need to know for good and godly living is in this word and in the spirit of God. And if you and I encounter things on our path that God allows, then it is necessary and he will use it. He uses such things to play an essential role in the fulfillment of his purpose. The problem is just knowing the word alone, as valuable as that is, can even be dangerous if you have an absence of the spirit. The Pharisees knew the word backward and forward, but when Jesus was with him, they didn't recognize him as the Lord either. Now here are disciples who have been with him probably for years, but they do not realize who he is. They know him but they don't recognize him. They know the scriptures, 
but they don't know the message. Jesus is able to reveal the message. Jesus is able to ignite our hearts with the fullness of revelation. Now, you may feel like sometimes God is moving on and you're getting left behind. But I love what happens in the story when they say, don't go, stay with us. Do you suppose that Jesus was surprised by that? I don't think so. I think it was his goal. He was trying to get them to hunger for the word of God in such a way that they were ready to receive the fire of revelation. He's inviting us now to do that. Jesus is rising up. Jesus is rising up over this place, over you and I as his people, over this city of angels. He's rising up, but don't let him move on. Say, tarry with us. Send the spirit. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord Jesus. Fill us, cleanse us, wash us, ignite us, unite us, use us, send us. And when we are eager and hungry for that, we'll see him, we'll know him, we'll receive from him so that even when he isn't visible in front of us, he'll be living within us. And we may find that we turn a 180. You may find that Jesus turns you from the path that you always thought, stop going in this direction, I like it. But once you're hungry for Jesus and you've eaten of the word, you realize it's time to turn around. It's time to go in another direction. And when Jesus does that, let me tell you, there's no regrets. There are troubles. Jesus is the solution. Here the disciples and the apostles are telling each other these things. We saw him, you saw him, I saw him. This is what happened. We were here, he was there. He's been all over the place. How could he be in all of these different places at once? That's the resurrection. And even as they're saying these things, suddenly there he is. He appears. It's not magic. It's not unnatural. It's supernatural. That's the resurrection. And Jesus is there, and what does he say? Shalom, wholeness, peace be unto you. But (laughs) their reaction, they were startled and frightened. Hey, if Jesus physically appeared right here in the sanctuary, you and I would be thrilled, be, be scared to death first. Why? Why should we be? He could if he wanted to. He said he's coming back. He can localize that to anywhere he needs to be. They were scared and startled and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He was patient. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? These are the very hearts that were ignited by the word, but now they're doubting again. And he says, why? I'm not a ghost. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. Look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. This is me. You can touch me. You see, he's really there. It's not just an idea. It's not wishful thinking. He's physically there. In fact, what's more physical than this? He says, let's eat. This is the second time in this story that we see Jesus getting ready to eat. But this time, he eats. He, he says, give me a piece of fish. Sounds like a good Filipino. 
Give me some ista. They give him a piece of broiled fish. Mmm. He eats it. He digests it. He has a real body. You and I don't understand everything of how it works, but it's a human body. It's a physical body that's processing food. And he says to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, I told you this was going to happen. And now it has happened. All things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You know what that means? No word of this book will fail to be fulfilled. Not one jot or tittle will pass away until all things have been fulfilled. You read Revelation and your knees quake, it will be fulfilled. And that's a hard thing to realize. You say, will it be fulfilled in my days or not? That I don't know. As we will see in two weeks, Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the days. It's for you to be on the mission. But it will all be fulfilled. Then look what he did. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Will you read that sentence that's underlined? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, open our minds to understand the scriptures. He said, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Starting from right here, this place, it's going to spread out. Now, today, you and I, we're not in Jerusalem. Maybe somewhere someone streaming or watching a recording is. God bless you. God bless Jerusalem. But whatever city you are in today, whatever village you are in today, whatever road you are walking in, this is what Jesus says to you. If you also repent and receive and believe and share, then starting with you, it will spread out like ripples in a pond. Throw a stone into the pool and the ripples reach the far edges and every molecule of water is shifted by that action. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus said. You are martyria. You are my witnesses. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. That's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Well, what do we do? Trust that this promise will be fulfilled and wait patiently for it. Press in for it. Persevere in prayer for it. Hunger for it. Need it. Don't go anywhere without it. Maybe this is where American Express got its famous uh, slogan. Don't leave home without it. Jesus says, I'm sending you the express promise of the Father. Don't leave home without it. They were on the way out of Jerusalem, and he says, you better get back and stay in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. You see, clothed. Way back in the garden, we were naked, and now God says, I'm going to clothe you. Before I clothed you in the skins of animals that were sacrificed for you, now I'm going to clothe you in myself. I'm going to cloak you in my spirit. I'm going to fill you with my presence and my power. 
Jesus can make his presence known to us in an instant. Someone somewhere right now, Jesus is making his presence known to you. It's breaking that shell that has seemed to be around you. It's cracking that wall that is in your heart. It's breaking the chains. He's breaking those chains because right now you're feeling him there. It's as though he's embracing you. It's as though he is caressing you. It's as though he is surrounding you. That's real. Receive that assurance of his presence. He can do that. Someone else has heard that description and said, I wish I could have that experience. I've never had it before. Then ask for it. Say, well, that kind of experience is just emotionalism. It doesn't matter. Really? Are you a parent? Do you have a child? Do you just teach your child lessons and give them books, or do you hug them? Do you hold them? Do you heal their wounds? Stop with that nonsense. That emotion doesn't matter to God. It matters to you. It matters to God. God's the author of emotion. God's the author of affection. God is the master of intimacy. God desires to hold you. There may be times where you want that experience and you don't have it. Keep asking for it. He's there. There's a reason, but let him break through to you. Maybe he's waiting for you to be hungry enough to realize who he is. One of the best ways to experience the closeness of Jesus is to gather together with his people. If you're streaming and you're not with us physically today, it may be that you routinely are and today you couldn't be. It may be that there are other reasons that keep you separate, but don't be separated physically from the body of Christ too long. We need to be physically present with each other. There is a benefit in being virtually present. In our Wednesday night prayer meetings, I love praying with the people that are there and I love the reality that technology affords us a connection that way. So it's not either or, it's both and, but it must be both and. We need to be physically present with each other. Some of us are trying too hard to follow God alone, and you were never intended to be alone. Even the two that were on the road to Emmaus were two. You know why? Because two are better than one. Because nobody wanted to travel alone in those days. That's why if there was a third loner and they were on the road, People would say, you want to travel with us? Because it was dangerous. There were enemies all around. And there are enemies around you. Enemies of Satan. Devilish, demonic feelings, impulses, ideas that want to rob you of your hope. And if you are walking the pathway of life alone, you are missing out on the benefit and blessing that two are greater than one and a three-strand cord is not easily broken. The third is Christ when we come together as his people, he is present in our midst. Amen. So if you want to experience him, come be with us. Or if you're far away and you have another place of worship, be with them. Amen. There are many places where the body of Christ is expressed. You need a local connection to one. Also, remember this. The resurrection is the greatest of miracles because it assures us once again Nothing is impossible for God. There's many wonderful thoughts, feelings, and ideas that come out of the resurrection, but the resurrection is more than that. It is a physical reality. It is a life-changing fact. You need to know that Jesus is physically alive today. Just because you and I don't physically see him doesn't mean that he is not in a physical body. The body that he lived in that was buried 2,000 years ago is still alive 
That's the Christian faith. And it's not negotiable. If you don't believe that, then you need to let the rest of it go. Because you can't pick and choose. And that's where the power is. It's like somebody saying, I love this car, but I don't want any fuel in the tank, and I don't need the battery. Well, the car doesn't run without those things. And you don't get to choose a different battery. The manufacturer decides. Jesus is the battery of the body. The Holy Spirit is the fuel. You and I need the Lord. And the Lord is alive. I conclude with this. <laughs> we feel enthusiastic. Our hearts are stirred and ignited. But there are times when there we are weary. There are times when we are worried. There are times when our patience has given out. But God is still patient with us. He doesn't fault us for our fears. But he wants us to recognize them. You see, when we don't recognize Jesus, it probably means we don't recognize the falsity of our fears. And we're letting our fears and our worries and our doubts guide us and control us. We're letting them be our master. We're making them our gods. Don't you see that's your idolatry and mine? When you give in to fear, when you give in to anger, when you give in to your worries, you're worshiping them because your time and your energy and your effort and your emotion is going into them and they are what are governing your behavior. That's what's producing the fruit of our lives. And Jesus says, that's not God, I'm God. So don't be afraid, just believe. Stop your doubting and believe. Perfect love casts out fear. Or as John 14 puts it, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I like to think that's where Jesus was going on the road. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they said, but wait, wait, stay with us where we are. And he does. But it's important that he went where he went because he said, unless I go, you won't have the spirit. The spirit is the promise that Jesus is coming again to bring us to where he is. Because it's wonderful that he has come back to us, but it's even better that he wants to bring us to him. And he wants to bring everything of who he is into who we are and where we live. The patience of Jesus is with you and I, my friends. And Jesus is saying, now, let your eyes be opened. See me for who I am. I'm your savior. I'm your master. I'm your friend. Trust me. Follow me. Seek me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Lord, we turn our whole hearts to you today. We turn the holes in our hearts to you today. The places of abandonment, the places of fear, the places of confusion, the places of distress, the places of guilt, of sin, of, of disobedience of cruelty, of perversion, of, of indulgence. We turn to you the places of selfishness and fleshliness and greediness and impatience and arrogance. We turn to you, Lord, the places of uncertainty, of unknowing, 
the places where we feel nothing at all, the empty, dead spaces, the tombs inside of us. We turn to you the problems. We turn to you the pressures. We turn to you the issues. We turn to you the joys. We turn to you the celebrations. Our children, our spouses, our homes, our jobs, our careers, our purpose, our days. We put it all into your hands. Those pierced hands. We say these are the only holy hands that can really help. These are the only hands of God. And yet, Lord, in you, you make our hands your hands too. You make us your witnesses. Help us remember today your word, Lord. Help us perceive your will. Help us trust in your way. And for any, Lord, who haven't been walking with you or who've been walking down the wrong path, I pray in agreement with them right now that they would turn toward you and give themselves back to you or for the first time entrust themselves to you as Lord and Savior, as the forgiver who cleanses and purifies them, as the baptizer who leads them into the waters of repentance, a real water baptism, and the baptizer with the Holy Spirit who fills them with your spirit, a real Holy Spirit baptism. And Lord, for this congregation and those, any of those praying with us today who would answer this charge as well, we ask that by your grace over the next two weeks you would instill in us such a hunger for your Holy Spirit that it would prepare us to receive an outpour of your spirit once again, not for the sake of emotionalism, not for the sake of, of, of grandiosity, but for the sake of being equipped, clothed, and prepared for the mission that would go forth from this place, not just to Los Angeles, but to California, to the United States, to Mexico, to Canada, to Europe, to the Philippines, to Africa, to Australia, to South America, to the uttermost parts of the world, and even, Lord, if technology allows, beyond... Let there be no space where human feet touch that the word of God is not spoken and the name of Jesus is not praised that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name.